Thanks for listening to another life-transforming message from the team here at C3 Southwest Washington. To find out more about our church, visit c3swwa.com. Scripture teaches us in John chapter 15, verses 15 through 16, Jesus said these words, and I want you to hear them being said to you, not just to the disciples, but to be said to you, because it changes the dynamic of the relationship. Jesus said, I no longer call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And so I've entitled this message in this series entitled Better, Better Best Friend. Because some of you have had a best friend, a BFF, and as great as they might have been or as great as they might be, they will never be a friend like the friend of Jesus. Amen. Father, I thank you for each person in this room, each person online, each person at home right now and on this Um, special memorial weekend where we remember those who have fallen in service to the rest of the nation. You be with them as they travel um, and as they honor loved ones and maybe friends and family who have passed in in the service for our our nation. Lord, we do thank you for our nation. I pray, God, that you'll continue to bless this nation. And while we hear mixed reviews online about our nation, and there certainly are problems, there's still a reason why this is the number one nation on the planet the 40 million people who are immigrants have made their way here currently. And the next place number two of any nation that anybody's trying to get to only has about 10 million immigrants. Because God, there's something special that you've done here. As imperfect as it is and as imperfect as our lives are, still there's something major that you've done. A work of your spirit, a work of your son, a work of the Holy Spirit. And so we pray, Lord, that you will teach us Father, as we lean in today to see in your word a relationship that you desire to have with us, a relationship that goes beyond you just being Lord and beyond you being just king, and you are those things, but your invitation to experience you as friend. And I thank you for that offer. Lord, I, I, th- I thank you for that offer. You've been a tremendous friend. In a world where there are good friends, you are a friend like no other, and we thank you for that. Jesus name we pray. Amen and amen. You can be seated. Certainly didn't mean to get emotional because I am the manliest man you will ever meet as I continue to tell you every single week. Um, looks like they got me set up and I think I'm good to go. Uh, can you can you remember your best friend as a kid? You remember your first friend? I, I was thinking about this. My family, my dad being in the military, we moved around quite a bit and I don't remember having any significant friendships probably up until about junior high, really into high school. Um, but I can remember those first couple of friendships. Uh, do you remember why you became friends with that person? Do you remember the thing that kind of intrigued you, that grabbed onto your attention, that thing that captured you? I became pretty good friends with a guy in one of my classes my freshman year because, I don't know, he, he was cooler than I was, and he actually paid attention to me. And so I kind of liked that, and we began to hang out, and we ended up on several sporting teams together, and he's been my friend through the years, and although we don't have close contact, I still see his feed pop up on Facebook, and he's a heck of a fisherman, and so I don't know how to fish, and I'm not, I love to eat fish, thank you, Martin, has really fed that need within me through the years, but 
Um, he's an incredible fisherman, and I always give him a thumbs up, and occasionally he gives me a thumbs up back. And he was just a great friend during that season. And I think about that friendship and some other friendships that have developed through the years, and I really appreciate good friendships. You know, there's, I think, a thing that's built within all of us, a deep desire for companionship, a deep desire for friendship. And certainly that extends into our desire to, to be married and build a life and build a family uh, with someone. But the, the truth is there's a desire. We're wired for relationship. And in our pursuit as children into our teenage years and into later years of life, there's such a need for companionship and friendship and relationship. And that's been wired there by God. God's created us to be relational beings, to have people in our lives that are friends. Um, some of the friendships that are are formed in the process of our lives. They are formed for healthy and sometimes unhealthy reasons, as you well know. I think that sometimes friendships are formed, I don't have this on the list, simply by default. If you were like me, there's a few times I've ended up not being picked for the team and there's somebody else not picked up for the team and therefore we become friends by default. We're the only two people who have no table to sit at at lunch, so we become our own new table. And so you're friends by default. Also, you develop friendships because of common context. Context is setting, so maybe you grew up on the same block, and otherwise you'd have nothing else in common, but on the same block, you built relationship. And, or maybe you were in the same grade, or you went to the same school, or you were in the same unit in the military, or you found yourself working for the same company on the same shift. And that context of life, maybe you met someone and you were pregnant and she was pregnant, and so while you would have had nothing else in common, there was a common context. And you asked, how, how, when are you due? And when are you due? And how's your morning sickness? And how is yours? And a friendship began to develop because of the context that you both were experiencing. Or maybe there's a common interest. You were both on a similar sporting team. I, I, when I used to own a Jeep a few years back, and I discovered that I, I didn't even know this. There's a Jeep wave, you know. And there's an order that you should wave depending on the value of your Jeep and their Jeep. And then there's the Jeep snobs. And then there's the Jeep people who don't know that they're Jeep people. They don't wave at all. And then there's all sorts of this camaraderie. It's amazing. You could have a motorcycle or a Jeep or anything else. And you pull into a gas station. And people that you do not know will begin to come up to you and have these deep conversations with you because there is a common interest and it binds people together because they are interested in similar things. That could be some of your relationships. Also, there could be some validation. I know that maybe this isn't a, a necessarily a healthy thing, but it's something about that person that I look up to likes me back, and somehow that validates me. It's maybe not the healthiest motivation for a friendship, but it does motivate friendships from time to time. That person that is out of my league has suddenly reached out to me, and now that brings me up to their league. And so that's why sometimes, and this is not healthy, we desire friendships with people so that we can be validated by them. Or maybe they have a skill set that we wish to have, and by being friends with them, it brings me into the validation of the thing that they're known for. Also, can be connected benefits to friendships. If I'm friends with them and they have a boat, maybe I can go out on the boat with them. But if they didn't have a boat, they're really not that interesting to me, right? 
Now, I'm talking about maybe me and my past, probably not you and your past. But the Bible does say in the book of uh, Proverbs that a man who, ha- who gives gifts will have many friends. Because people are just like that. They're motivated by benefit. And so a uh, thing to be wary about is if you have a benefit and you have friends, is your friendship deeper than the benefits that you maybe offer? When those benefits dry up, will they still be there for you? Sometimes, believe it or not, a common enemy can create the craziest of friendships. People who can't stand one another but who now have a common enemy. Uh, you see this in the world politics and our social environment right now. When there's a common enemy, these unusual groups band together, and now they're best friends, they're partners to move forward. In fact, when you read the Bible, uh, as Jesus is being crucified, uh, there were two rulers at the time who were enemies Uh, Herod and another uh, leader within the Roman world, but the moment they agreed to crucify Jesus, the Bible says they forgot their their argument and they actually came together and developed a friendship because of a common enemy named Jesus. And that happens quite often. In fact, let let me ask you this question. Who is the most powerful person in your lifetime you have ever had contact with? Who is the most famous person that maybe you bumped into or brushed shoulders with or saw in an airport? And then once you saw them, you took a picture and you began to tell all of your friends how you met this famous person. And why is that such a big deal to share that story and to show that picture? Um, I can tell you a couple of funny stories that my family has experienced, but we were in Hawaii for our 25th anniversary, and my wife thought it would be romantic to invite our children along, and so we did that. And uh, I still haven't got over that. But anyways, it was great to have our kids with us. And we walked into a Target on the main island there. And I'm walking through the aisle. And I come across a family where wife is picking out some clothes and the children. She's trying to get them to pay attention. And the husband is sitting on the edge of the clothing rack, just bored out of his mind. And I walk past him. And I realize it's Mark Wahlberg. And only thing I know to do looking down at him is to flex a little bit. And then to look at And I went like this to him. And he went like this back to me. And so I, ran, I immediately ran through the store and I told my family, Mark Wahlberg's here. Uh, we love a couple of movies. There's a movie called Invincible, if you've never seen it. Just a great family movie uh, about a, uh, a guy who joined the Eagles and he plays the role. And we, we Val's favorite team is the Eagles because she's born in Pennsylvania. And even though they're no good, she still cheers for them. And, uh, and so I told them that he's, he's in the store. But I noticed that as I began telling the story to them and repeated it to them, you know, me and Mark Wahlberg, we were high-fiving, we were fist-bumping, rump-patting, we were doing all kinds of stuff because, you know, now we're, we've gone from I saw him to we're bros. Yeah, my bro, my, my, my dude, me and Mark were like this. We were in Target. I was in, the, I was in Target the other day with Mark Wahlberg. Yeah, man, we were both shopping. You know, and, and we... we Let me ask you this. When you tell the story about how you saw that famous person or how you met that famous person, how do you tell the story? Do you embellish it a little bit? Do you lean into this idea that maybe there was a deeper connection than there actually was? And why? Why do we do that? And I'd offer you the suggestion that we embellish it because we we long for valuable relationships because those valuable relationships make us feel stronger and more connected and more valuable and more validated. And in the process of longing for those, we embellish the story because it has a sense of elevating us to being beyond the station of where we actually are. 
And I think that's part of that is because we, again, are, we're wired for friendship. We, we desire powerful, validating, empowering relationships. And I believe that's actually designed by God, but we often look to the wrong places for those friendships. So one of the things that I really want to emphasize to you this morning is that if you, you, it's good to lean into relationships. It's good to lean into other people. It's good to develop relationships. When I think about our church, I love how relational our church family is. I love how half an hour before anybody gets here, well, before gathering begins, many of you are already here and you're just talking and you're interacting. And then after the gathering's over, an hour later, Trish and Josh will start flipping the lights and say, you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here because you just, you just all want to spend time together and talk together. And I know much of this goes beyond after the, after the week, uh, we step into the week and many of you go on vacations together and have people over to your home. And that's all valuable. That's all part of, of being a Christian and being a part of God's family. But one of the things that you, you've got to understand that as on a personal level is that deep longing for a deep friendship will never satisfy until you find Jesus as a friend. The person sitting next to you will never be able to live up to the need that's within you for friendship. And if you really look back on your past and you maybe consider previous relationships and relationships that were for a season or relationships that turned south, relationships that went bad or things that fell apart in relationships or how, how somebody that you trusted so deeply let you down and, and burned a part of you that made you afraid to be friends with anybody else, it's maybe because you haven't allowed the friend of all friends to, to occupy that deepest BFF position where he rightfully has paid for and all others fall on a different level. It's so important for you to understand this. Husband, your wife, it would be wonderful if she is your best friend, but she will never be able to be the friend that Jesus can be. And conversely, or vice versa, wife, your husband will never be able to be the friend. Now, he should strive to be a great friend, but earthly friends can never be the friend that you're really looking for because the friend that you really need, first and foremost, is the friend of Jesus. And I know that maybe some of you haven't maybe thought of a relationship with God in terms of friendship because when we think about heaven, it, it almost feels wrong to pull God down to a friendship level. In fact, there's a song that I hate that we will never sing in this church I am a friend of God. I am a friend of God. I am a friend of God. He calls me friend. And I make fun of that song when I hear it just because, A, the lyrics, it's just repeating the same sentence four times. And I don't really like the tune, but I think that probably really deep down in, there's a thing that I struggle with that I think we all might struggle with of actually being confident enough to, to grab onto the fact that friendship is offered to us by God himself. When you look at all the terminology of Jesus, when we see him introducing the kingdom of heaven, he actually introduces a, uh, the membership into his family from the standpoint of friendship, which is very unusual. It's very odd. In fact, when Jesus is teaching, so many of the times is he's teaching about the kingdom of heaven, which is here on earth. Is it, it be, the kingdom of heaven begins when you step underneath the kingship, the lordship, of Jesus Christ, 
you step out of the kingdom of this world into the kingdom of heaven. And as Jesus teaches parables, he's teaching about how the kingdom of heaven functions on earth. And so he's talking about here and now, and he talks so many times about the kingdom of heaven is like, and he'll mention a king and his servants. But he interjects something that's fascinating in almost every one of those parables, the term friendship used by the king to the servant, or the term friend being used by the business owner to his employee. Because what he wants you to really see is within the kingdom of heaven, unlike the kingdom of this world, there is a deep friendship regardless of position within his experience with people. That while you and I, we might surrender our lives to Jesus and we call him Lord and he is God and he is king and he is high and lifted up and he is amazing in every way, the one relational aspect that supersedes them all is that he does deal with us as friends in a, in a deep friendship because there's two different words used for friendship. Um, the word heterios means a clansman or a cousin or a companion. So it's somebody who's close by. Jesus uses that phrase quite often. But he also uses the deeper word, uh, deeper phrase phylos, which means beloved, dear, friendly, or friend. And he uses that term when he's talking especially about his followers in a small sense, individual sense, or in a, actually in a larger sense, people that step into his kingdom he initially calls them friend from the very first interaction. In fact, one of the things he was accused of, Luke chapter 7, verse 34, the Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend. And this is not just a someone you know. This is that phylos, the beloved, dear, friendly friend. He's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Before they even become followers... He stands over here within the kingdom of heaven, inviting them in using the phrase friend. Deep friendship, deep companionship. I want you to hear that because that might be something that you maybe are challenged to even imagine. That while heaven has sent, their, sent the son to die for you, can you hear the, the, the phraseology also friend. A friend is someone you choose. It's someone you desire. It's someone you want to be around. It's someone that you value. And that is how Jesus sees you. That is how he looks at you. That's how he interacts with you, even on your worst day while you're still a tax collector and a sinner. And he's able to build the relationship from that point on, and that is certainly what he does. So let me reiterate, while Jesus is king, the friendship he initiates and models towards every new member of the kingdom of heaven supersedes all other relational structures that exist. King Jesus is first and foremost our friend. And that's what he offers you and I as we step into a relationship with him. I can tell you from experience the thing that was so shocking to me after having gone to church through my junior high years and my high school years, but to find myself graduated and stepping into a a church much like ours that was alive and living and, and functioned like God was real because for them he was, they had experienced him. And it, the invitation came to me to follow Jesus. And when I stepped across that line, I was shocked in that I sensed very close in my life, although I couldn't see him, a very, uh, very real confidence and awareness that now I am walking with Jesus. 
I mean, I'm walking with him. He's doing the walking. I'm walking with him, but he is right here. I remember going home to my, my, my bedroom that very first night. It was a Monday in April, 1985, and kneeling down next to my bed, and I was shocked. It's like, oh my gosh, you're here too. And I woke up the next morning. You're, you're, you're still here. I got in my car. He was in my car. And driving down the road, I mean, you're talking, and we're driving, and we're thinking, and we're listening to some new music, and we're planning for church later on in the week, and some new friends, and he is constantly here. And sometimes I'll forget that he's here, and then I have to remind myself, oh, that's right, you're here. And that has been one of the greatest unexpected gifts throughout every moment since that moment in my lifetime. And it's not a I'm here and it's an adversarial relationship. It's a Steve, I'm here and I call you friend. And that friendship is one that is, it, it does nothing but, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna use this word on purpose. It does nothing but prosper me. It makes me better. It makes my life better. It makes what's available to me better. It makes my opportunities better. It makes my outlook better. It makes my attitude better. It makes my friendships better. It makes my money better. It makes my, makes my looks, believe it or not, better. I was working with a guy. Jay, uh, one of his guys was over, one of his employees was at my house. I'm going to brag for, on myself for a moment, okay? Just If lightning doesn't strike, some of you are like, oh, my gosh. You're Again, uh, I was so excited. Uh, there's a guy that was working at my house that's on your crew, the sprinkler guy, and he referred to himself as an old man. I said, listen, until you get my age, you cannot refer to yourself as an old man. He's like, we, we are the same age. I said, dude, we are not the same age. He says, well, within a couple years, I said, I've got you beat by 10, I can guarantee you. And he said to me, when were you born? And I told him, and he's like, oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah, he's like, you got beat me, beat, me beat by 11 years old. And then he began to talk to me as if I was the ancient of days. Oh, I hope when I'm your age, way off in the distance, that somehow I've got the energy that you have. And, and the, truth, the truth is, I can promise you that if it hadn't been for Jesus, um, I, 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 I wouldn't be in the health that I'm in. I wouldn't, I mean, I know I still look old. I'm getting older. I can't fight that. But I'm in far better shape, far better appearance. Because every area of life in a relationship with Jesus it makes your life better. And especially when you press into that friendship, it's, it, it's, an, it's an advantage that's only an advantage if you take advantage of it. There are things that I'm discovering about my, I bought, purchased a new vehicle, and there are things I'm discovering about it that I didn't know that I had. And if I didn't know that I had them doesn't mean I don't have them, but it just simply means that I've not taken advantage of it. I'm able to start my truck from my phone. I don't need my keys. How nice is that in the morning time? I think I'll start my truck. <laughs> Let it warm up. And while it was not a reason I purchased it for, it was something I discovered later on, I'm able to take advantage of that. And a friendship with Jesus allows you to step into these moments where I didn't realize this was part of the friendship. And there's more and more things that you discover about Jesus that are just value adds. And sometimes the things that you'll experience that feels like a, a removal of something that you valued, you're going to discover that it's not a removal of anything that's actually a value. It's pulling out something that's less than best so that you can embrace something that's even better. There's some things that we have on that we want to, we, we think are so valuable in our lives that are actually killing us. And our friend Jesus 
is able to put his arm around us and because of the relationship, help us to see that there is a better way. And that is the value of a relationship with Jesus. He, he prospers our life in every way. He prospers us with forgiveness. He prospers us with health. He prospers us with friendship. He prospers us with the right course of action. He prospers us with eternity with him. There's no area that's not prospered by our relationship with him. So kind of thinking back about to that list of things that we get involved in relationships for that I showed you at the beginning of my message. Let me lean back into that, those ideas for just a few moments to be able to show you that those deep things that cause you to lean into certain earthly relationships are also good reasons to lean into the relationship with Jesus. Number one, Jesus establishes friendship in the common contacts of our entire lives. You might be friends with a kid that you grew up on a street with or somebody that you were in the military with, and that's a common context. But one of the reasons why this friendship becomes so valuable is because Jesus was there at the beginning spark of your life. Jesus has been involved with your life since the moment of conception. Really, before that, in his planning, in his dreams, his desire for your life, there is not a second of your existence that he has not been there to observe, to be witness to, to see. The good, the bad, the wins, the losses, the, the dangerous moments, the moments of victory, he's been involved with that entire thing. Conception, Psalm 139, your frame was not hidden. Uh, the psalmist saying, my frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. There's no greater connection because of context between you and anyone else than you and God because he has literally been there whether you're aware of it or not, since day one. In fact, John was, uh, or in the book of John, Jesus mentions to a crowd that he's speaking to that back in the day of Abram, Abram saw his day and rejoiced. And the Jews said to Jesus, you're not even 50 years old. How can you say that, that Abram saw your day? And Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, before Abram, Abraham was, I am. He was actually declaring that he was God, but he was saying, I was there when Abraham developed faith for the future. And I think that he would say that of every single one of us. I was there when you learned to ride your bike. I was there when that tragedy happened. I was there when you declared, God, where are you? I was right there. And so there's not a, not a patch of context of your life that he's not aware of and not able to completely see from a bird's eye view in a way that's probably different than your perspective, but actually will help you to navigate forward. He was there in your best of moments. I love this moment where uh, John chapter 1, verse 45 through 50, Philip finds Nathaniel at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And he says to Nathaniel, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathaniel said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip says, Come and see, come and see. So Jesus is there, he sees Nathanael coming, and he says, Behold, it's Nathanael, an Israelite, and indeed in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael responds, How do you know me? And Jesus said to him, Because before Philip called you to come see me, I saw you under the fig tree. 
Philip was like, oh, I, I was under a fig tree. I know you were under a fig tree. I could see you then. I saw you there. I saw what you were whispering up to the heavens about. I, I imagine this was probably a deeply intimate moment for this man about to become a disciple and the realization that there's no time or space that can separate God from knowing every deep, intricate detail about me. And it's so, such a profound thing that he knows me and he still wants to be my friend. He still wants to be my friend. He wants me to be his friend. He wants to be my friend. He has seen us at our worst moments. Do you know that when Judas came and embraced Jesus on the cheek as a sign to the captive, uh, those who are going to take Jesus captive, he says, greeting, Rabbi, and he kisses him. And Jesus refers to him, it says this, friend, do what you came to do. He did not refer to him as enemy. He referred to him as friend. In your worst of moments in this lifetime, only Jesus can say this, but Jesus is able to look through that circumstance, through your actions, still invite you close as a friend in an effort to reconcile with you even in your moment of betrayal. And you see that happen certainly in Peter's life. I love that we also have that common context, whether you realize it or not, the cross is a common context because while Christ hung there on the cross, it was not just his context, it was your context as well. Because the Bible says that anyone who sins deserves death. It, it talks about um, cursed is the man who sins, and, and it talks about cursed is he who hangs on a tree. The idea that our sin is what leads to death on the cross, and the fact that Christ hung there, he is actually hanging in your place. John 15, verse 13 says, Greater love has no one than this. Listen to the words here. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Now, you're going to find in this lifetime, even your best friends will betray you. Anybody you've experienced that? Probably if you've never experienced that, COVID must have brought, got a, you must have lost 20 or 30 friends if you're like the rest of us, right? That, 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 that the tenseness of the season and the dividing lines of politics and social uh, discussions and all that was going on in our world divided some of the best of friends. And the thing that I am amazed about when I see that is how Jesus dealt with that betrayal. It, it becomes kind of like the mantra for me. It's the thing that I admire so much about Jesus that even in a moment of being betrayed, he still calls Judas friend, and that's extended beyond Judas because you hopefully understand that each and every one of you, myself included, we have all betrayed Jesus. That when he says friend and he pulls him close, that this is the moment where he pulls us all close on the cross. You read through uh, Luke chapter 23, verses 39 through 43, it's the picture of Jesus hanging on the cross, and he's being crucified between two criminals. And one of the criminals begins to mock Jesus, but the other criminal defends Jesus and says, friend, don't you know that we're here because of our wrong actions? This man is innocent. He has done nothing. And then he looks to Jesus hanging on the cross, and he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Because in his mind, he imagines the kingdom is after death. What he doesn't realize 
is the kingdom is here on earth, and it's when you step over into the friendship of Jesus. And so he says to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus is hanging there. He's like, I'm already in my kingdom. And he welcomes him into the kingdom in his last breath. It's amazing. He says, today I say to you, you will be with me in paradise. And I believe that to be that uh, prophetic word that you're stepping over into paradise now, right here on this earth, that as we pass away together, you will step over with me into paradise eternally. And so we see that prophetic thing happen. Romans chapter 6, verses 6, 8, will hopefully help you to see, again, the similar context. It says, we know that our old self was crucified with him. Do you know that you were crucified with Jesus on the cross? That when Jesus hung on the cross, he not only took your sin on the cross, but actually in position, he took you on the cross with him. He stood in your place. He hung in your place. And so hanging there on the cross, you had a mutual context. Your sin put him there. And his friendship put him there. He invites you into friendship because of that common context. And those very things that nailed him to the cross, your wrong, my wrong, our sinful actions, becomes the common context in which he says, come on, I invite you to be my friend because of this this context that we have. It goes on to say that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we also believe that we will live with him. Okay, I might not get to all my other points. Fair enough? But it's shocking. Okay. It's Memorial Day, so I'm giving myself a couple extra points off today. So I'll, uh, I'll make it through at least a few of these. Um, Jesus establishes the friendship in the context of our common interest. We have a common interest, but believe it or not, the common interest is his desire to see best happen in your life. Jesus doesn't need you. You don't round out his assortment of great trophies. Jesus wants you because of what he can accomplish in your life to make your life the trophy that you desire it to be. Jesus is not desperate. Jesus is not needy. Jesus is not lonely up in heaven. Man, I wish, I wish Miss Trish would pay attention to me. Gosh, why won't she, why won't she be friends with me? Je- Jesus is not needy. Jesus is not lonely. Jesus does not need you. You need Jesus. And a friendship with him is a common context. You, you both have two, one thing very much in common. It's called you. You know you, and he knows you. You want some things for your life. He wants some great things for your life. He actually wants the best things for your life. And it's not what he is all about and only about. Sounds like we have an amber alert. Don't you love that? Um, it's all good. If, it's, uh, if you see the person in the amber alert in the room, notify the authorities in the back of the room. We'll take care of that. Could be a silver alert. Could be me. So let me know if it's me, all right? Um, so um, the common context is that he wants your best. That is what, what God is after. He doesn't, do you know that he does not need you to serve him? Serving him is what we do in response to all that he's done for us, 
but he's not, he's not, there's not a shortage of servants in heaven. There's, there's a multitude of angels doing his will. He doesn't, he doesn't sit around, oh, man, I, mean, I need somebody else to serve me. I mean, we might have that problem on a few of our teams here in our church. Oh, man, if somebody doesn't cover live stream today, that's just going to sit over there, and who knows what they're going to see online, right? That could actually happen. But Jesus is not short of servants, not short of friends. But the common context why he wants to be your friend is because he actually wants to see you do well. Jesus' friendship will also bring validation to your life like none other. When Jesus was baptized, crazy thing happened. A voice out of heaven spoke and said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Don't you just wish sometimes that there would be a voice out of heaven to say, no, 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 hey, stop messing around. That's my son. Stop doing, hey, 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 hey. Get out of the way. My son needs to come through. My daughter's on her way. She's busy. Get out of the left lane. You're not passing anybody. That's my son. Wouldn't that be great? But the truth is that many times through your life in a friendship with Jesus, just like God the Father spoke out of the heavens, God will speak out of the heavens to validate who you are and what you are. There will be key moments when it looks like you're pinned up against the wall and everybody will be standing around saying, oh, he's going down for the count this time. It's over. He's done for. This is the end of the line for him. And God comes through and does a miracle on your behalf. And everybody's like, oh, gosh, there must be a God. There's no way that he was able to get through that situation. And you tell the stories and people observe the track record that you experience. Heaven will validate you time and time and time again. In fact, heaven will validate you in such a way that you don't need to hear anyone hear a voice. In fact, one of the times Jesus, uh, as he prayed and as there was dialogue from heaven, Jesus said, I, I actually didn't need that, but that was all for you guys to be able to hear. Because you'll be so validated in who you are as a son or as a daughter you won't need anybody to say, you know, that's, that's God, God really likes him or her. It'll just be a deep, deep confidence within you that you are validated, that I am a son, I am a daughter of God. And you walk with that, you carry that, you carry that into your next job interview, you carry that into the hospital room when there's an emergency, you carry that into a dialogue with somebody who's an unbeliever, and you're able to declare truth because you know that you're not talking about something that's far off in distance. You are validated by the presence of God in your life, and the thing you're declaring, you do so with confidence because you know there's such a tight relationship between you and God that you're speaking on his behalf, and he's going to come through and bring healing to that person in his son's name. Heaven will validate your friendship. There'll be benefits, and the list is too long, but with that friendship comes benefits. In fact, Jesus said, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be open. And I am going to finish all my points, and here we go with the final one, so why don't you stand with me? Um, friendship with Jesus will help you time and time again to overcome our common enemy. You do know this, you have a common enemy. Yes, it is you, but there's another one besides you. You realize that. You, do, you realize you have an enemy. The Bible's very clear about it. Your enemy 
the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That's very real. Some things are just, I don't know, difficult circumstances, and some things are, man, that really stunk how that turned out. But some things, there really is an enemy that's working against you. And he uses other people, and he uses situations, and he is working against you. Now, that can feel really overwhelming at times if you are not seeing it through the context of friendship with Jesus. When you look, though, through the context of Jesus being your friend, what's so cool is to be able to step away, step to the side, step behind, and get behind Jesus. I do remember one time, this is second grade, I got in a fight. I was getting thumped on by a kid who had a couple of brothers that were a little bit older than him. And a friend of mine jumped in and took over and beat up the other kid for me. I was already beat up, but I was thankful I had a friend. What we discovered about a half an hour later is he had several other brothers that were even older. And so my friend took a beating for winning a battle on my behalf. But there was something to be said about sliding in behind someone who is stronger, who is greater, someone who can fight on your behalf. And as imperfect as the earthly experience was in that moment, I have experienced time and time again in my friendship with Jesus where I've come to him, and there are just the DNA, the fingerprints of the enemy on circumstances in my life, and it's very clear to me that I don't have what it takes to win this particular battle. Some of the battles are small. They're, they're the little minor things where you feel like something's being withheld that is rightfully yours, but you can't seem to pry it out of the grip. There, there's something that's holding on to this. Or it could be something much bigger. Your, your family's under a physical attack. Everybody's, everything seems to be falling apart. Have you ever had one of those weeks or years or decades like the wheels are falling off constantly? I mean, once the wheel falls off, the hub falls off, then the axle falls off. It's all falling off. And you realize that, no, there's the, there, this is a spiritual attack. And in those moments, it can be incredibly overwhelming. But I have found that in both of those, there is one thing that is consistent because I have a friendship with Jesus and we have a common enemy. My enemy is always his enemy. My enemy, the enemies of, of me are his enemies in those instances. And when there are situations that are the enemy of me, he rises up and he, he offers to step in front to partner with me. And there doesn't mean I take my weapons and put them in the box and just stand, oh, go ahead, go ahead and do it, Jesus. Oftentimes I have to fight with him. There's a partnership that takes place. But man, he is an amazing combat artist, amazing martial, mixed martial artist, whatever you want to call. He, he's, he is the, I mean, he, he will, without, the Bible says, that he will destroy his enemies with the breath of his nostril. It's not even a battle. It's not an arm wrestle. It's not, he's not like, it's, it's effortless for him. Effortless. The Bible teaches us here in Revelation, and I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before God. And they have conquered him. Conquered, not they didn't conquer him. They have conquered. There's a process of conquering that we 
conquer. And he shows back up and we conquer. And he shows back up and we conquer. And he shows back up and we conquer. And he shows back up and we conquer. And he shows back up and when is this gonna end? Not yet, there's still a pulse. And he shows up and we conquer. And he shows up and we conquer. And they conquered him. The Bible says, and they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb. In other words, what Jesus did for us on the cross and by the word of our testimony. In other words, the words that come out of our mouth of who God is, what he has done. The previous battle, he did this. The previous battle, he did that. The next battle, he did that. And we continue to conquer the enemy through what Christ has done and through what we communicate with our mouths about who Christ is in our lives. Our friendship with God is the thing that helps us to conquer our enemy, amen? So let me let me pray for you. How, before you, before don't don't even bow your don't bow your you know no place in the Bible does it say you have to bow your head, close your eyes, or close your head and bow your eyes. Okay. Um, how many of you, if you, you would be honest and say, well, I recognize that Jesus is a friend, but right now in my life it feels like he's a distant friend. If, if that's you, just, you know, just be honest. Let me see your hand. Just say, it feels like he's a distant friend. It's not on him, it's on me, okay? Some of you, you feel that way, and I recognize that. How many of you would say that, well, he's been a close friend, but I wanna lean into the friendship stronger because I think there's some stuff left on the table. There's some things that, that are available, maybe like that push button to start your truck that I haven't experienced yet because I've not leaned into the friendship the way the friendship really could be leaned into. If that's you, let me see your hand and I wanna pray for you as well. And I'll, I'm gonna raise my hand in that section because we ebb and flow in our all of our relationships. You're gonna find in your marriage and your, your friendships with people, there'll be high moments and low moments, but over time we wanna see those high moments and low moments create an upward climb. And now for me that right now, being really honest with you, I feel like I'm on one of those lower pieces but it's, I've been busy. There's been a lot of projects to accomplish. There's a lot of, hey, Lord, great to see you this morning. Oh, cool. Uh, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Okay, good. I'll see you later. And there's that lower part of the curve, but there's that need to press into the higher part to say, okay, Lord, I want to lean into the relationship. You love me, even though I've been a little bit distant, but I refuse to remain distant. I'm going to press in, okay? So I'm going to pray for you, okay? Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much this morning for the gathering of your people. I thank you, Lord, that we get to step into moments and spaces like this where we can come as your church family and we can be in your house and we can celebrate your goodness. God, I thank you so much that you open the door for us and you start the relationship. Even though we were enemies by our actions, you start the relationship by calling us friends. And maybe it's not the deepest level of friendship. Maybe it's just someone who's in my, my, my midst, someone who is a clansman or a companion. Lord, you long to call us dear loved one and, and, and close companion. You, you want to pull us closer. And so, Lord, what we want to express to you today is we desire to be closer, to enjoy more of the intimate friendship, to have that sense that you're around us at all times, to lean in. When we would run to so many other earthly friends that we value, that are certainly a part of the experience, but Lord, you are a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Father, you've given your life, and so we thank you for that. We thank you, Jesus, that you are our friend. We were once enemies, but you are our friend. 
And then we embrace that opportunity. We embrace that friendship. And we want to walk in that. Teach us to do that well. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everyone said, amen. Amen. It's good that God has offered that our way. Amen? You know, he didn't have to. As king, he just needs some subjects to rule over. That's the amazing thing about our God. He's not happy to look across the kingdom over the walls from the palace and see you down in your little piddly field in your straw hut. He invites you to be seated with him in, the Bible says in Ephesians, in heavenly places. He doesn't come to where you are as a friend. He invites you to where he lives as a friend. That's amazing. That's a friend. He invites you to be seated with him in heavenly places. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our pastors, leaders, and what we do at C3 Church, visit our website at c3swwa.com.